Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks, Pastor Matt. Uh, Pastor Beth, let me ask you a question. Is there still room for people to get baptized? There is still. I know we usually have a cutoff. There's six, six more spots. Okay, good. All right, I wanted to make, make that clear because I didn't want somebody to go register and then they get told that they closed that out. Hallelujah. It's been a special weekend so far. Amen. Amen. We know that it's going to be this service the Holy Spirit has custom made just for you. And I'm so glad there's so many of you here today because these messages that we've been going over these past few weeks are extremely important. I do want to acknowledge that we have a special guest here with us today. Uh, grandson number 10 is here. <laughs> Benjamin David. And, and he brought his mom and dad with him today. It's our son David, Marina. Um, have blessed us with another boy. <laughs> Ten grandsons. Pray for us. <laughs> so, yeah, he's a beautiful little boy. And we're just so glad. Thank you. We're glad you're here today. Amen. You can get the same later on in the lobby. All right. You guys ready to get into the word? Yes. You guys, are you guys ready to get into the word? Yes. Okay, listen. Let me give some background and then I'll jump in. And when we jump in, we're going to jump in with both feet, okay? We, when I say we, I'm talking about the church world. And there's so many of us here from so many different backgrounds today. And that's what's so awesome about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, no matter what backgrounds we come from, we're still brothers and sisters in the Lord. We still have the Holy Ghost who brings us together and causes us to become one. And if you've studied the Bible at all, you will notice and realize that God brings his people through different seasons. I'm talking about Old Testament, New Testament. There's always different seasons that are coming along. And God knows these seasons that are coming and kind of prepares us for them. And so we, we the church, now who's the church? Is, are these walls the church? Is this roof, the floor, the chair? Is this the, because we have that, well, I'm going to church. No, you're bringing the church to a building. Amen. You're the church. Amen. Who's the church? Let me see your hands. Okay. Say, we the church. Okay. So the season that the Holy Spirit has upon the church right now is a very unique season. You don't see this all the time. Now, I personally have been in this thing we call born-again Christianity. It'll be 39 years in April. And so you hang around this thing long enough. I know there's some of you here that have been in it longer than I am. And it's kind of a scary season now because when I say that, there's less and less people that are in that season. So we're all coming to a place, you know. But in that 38, 39 years, I've seen seasons. And they're, they're, if you're, well, it's not going to sound right when I'm going to say this. I don't mean this in a condescending way, and I don't mean it in a super spiritual way. But when you hang around long enough, you start to recognize things. You start to recognize seasons. Plus... We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. How many, how many of you are aware you have the Holy Ghost in you? No, let me see your hands. Okay. If you're born again, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live in you. He's in there. He's in there. Turn to somebody and say, he's in there. 
And the Holy Spirit wants to speak to us way more than we want to listen. And, but for those of us who have, have, have kind of like either through length of time or just pressing in and just spending time with God, you start to recognize things. You, you get these impressions way before they start happening, okay? Now, we should expect that because, you know, when Jesus introduced the Holy Spirit, you go read this in John chapter 14, 15, 16, 17. Most of the time, that, that's at the Last Supper, but most of the time Jesus spent at the Last Supper talking about the Holy Spirit. In fact, almost all of the teaching we get from Jesus about the Holy Spirit takes place at the Last Supper. You've heard me say this before, and I keep saying it because it's so important. Because if Jesus deemed it important enough that these would be some of the last things that he would teach while he was still on earth, then the church should perk up and realize, wow, this is important, because he knew the disciples were going to need to know the Holy Spirit to carry on his ministry, Jesus' ministry, okay? So we have the Holy Spirit in us. Here's the season we're in right now. It's a time, and this is why the Holy Spirit's been doing this so much in all of our services. This is a time for us to get any of the junk in our lives that does not line up with God's character to get it out of the way. Now, when God starts to do that, it's not because he's clamping down on everybody. It's that he wants us prepared for what's coming next. Okay, you listening? Yes. Okay. God knew a flood was coming. He prepared an ark. Yes or no? Yes. God knew it was time for the Messiah to come and appear on the earth, and he prepared a John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's message was, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at, here, at, at hand. Now, we're winding down here on the time clock of human history. You don't need to be a Bible theologian to realize that. If you just look at the conditions that Jesus said would be upon the earth, I'm talking about in detail, not the general wars and rumors. Of war. We've always had wars, but there's other detailed things that Jesus spoke of. And when we find those things and research those things, it's very easy to come to the conclusion, wow, he's getting ready to come back soon. Now, I get excited over this kind of stuff, but you know, I've been excited about this not because now I'm getting older, and I want my glorified body, although I would love to, to get one. And I said this over and over, and we get to heaven, don't look for a fat, bald guy. Because <laughs> I put my request in a long time ago. Every hair that I lost, I'm getting back in Jesus' name. Okay, you, know, you, you see what I'm saying? So my excitement is not because it's like, I just want to get out of here. No, no, I've been excited about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ since the day I got born again. It was something that the Holy Spirit just made very real and very alive to me. I think it was because uh, I was a history major. I've been a history buff all my life. And when I got saved, when I got born again, all of a sudden, everything I studied in human history and everything that was in the scriptures went, I went, oh, my God. That's why this happened. That's why that happened. That's why these people were living in this. That's all these things have to line up in order for Jesus for the world, for us to be ready for Jesus to return. Okay? Now, don't get stuck in the trap of people have been saying this for 2,000 years. People have been saying it for 2,000 years because for 2,000 years we've been in the last days, but now we're in the last of the last days. You catching this? So don't get caught in that trap of thinking because the 2,000 years exists in our time and space. 
It hasn't been 2,000 years in heaven. In fact, if you go by the formula that God gave us in the scriptures, that a day with the Lord is like a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years is like a day, then Jesus went to heaven two, two days ago in heaven's time. Are you getting this? Your loved one that's been gone for 20 years, they just got there. For you, it's 20 years. For them, it's... Okay, so don't get in that trap of thinking like unlearned people. God gave us a time frame. God gave us a calendar. There's a beginning and there's an end. Eternity doesn't exist on a calendar. And eternity is getting closer and closer. Okay? You're hearing this. So now, what should the church be about right now? We're living in the days just like it was before Noah was on the ark. It's our responsibility to get as many people in the ark as possible right now. That ark is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a place of safety. So, in order for us to be very alert during this season, in order for us to be aware that God wants to use every single one of us in this room right now to make an impact on somebody else's life so that they're not left behind, it's going to require us living a life different than the one we're living right now. Most of us, and I'm talking about the church world in general, have become very comfortable with coming, singing our songs. And your life and my life has got to get on fire again for God. We've got to get out of our comfort zones. We've got to find that passion again. When Jesus spoke to the churches in the, in the book of Revelation, he said to one of them, go back and do the thing you did in the beginning. We just sang about this. I'm coming back to the heart of worship. Again, it's more than a song. It's a lifestyle. Get this settled in your soul. Jesus went to the cross to save you and to save me, yes? Amen. That involves way more than just not going to hell. If we spend our time here on earth just having a superficial relationship with the Lord, but never really stepping into the fullness of what he has for you and for you and for you and for you, because each one of us has a customized plan, there's a book in heaven with your blueprints in it. The reward that you and I are going to receive when we get there is not based on what we think. It's based on what the original blueprint was. Because we love to quote Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil. Plans to give you a hope in the future. Plans, 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 plans. And we go, oh, I love that scripture. I got the T-shirt. I have the bumper sticker. Keychain. But do you notice it says plans? Now, granted, I know in context he's speaking to the entire nation of Israel. Jeremiah the prophet is speaking by the Spirit of God to the nation of Israel. They had a plan for them. But within that general plan, there's also a specific plan. And listen to me the only way you and I are going to accomplish and fulfill the specific plan that he has for your life and for my life is going to require a force beyond ourself. If we could have done it on our own, we would have did it already. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have, have tried to pursue the plans of God? How many of you tried to, and, and you went, face plant, 
Boom. Because we were trying to do it on our own. Okay? I, believe me, I know this from personal experience. I went from business to business to business to business trying to get that sense of fulfillment, sense of accomplishment. I was, if you looked up workaholic in the dictionary, it had my picture there. Okay? But I went, before God, and the Lord knows this, it was never for the money. It was to attain the sense of fulfillment. Anybody can relate to what I'm talking about? It wasn't about, it's not, it was never about the money. It was about attaining that sense of purpose. Like, I did it. I did what God told me to do. I did, I did what I was born for. I know how frustrating that is. And I understood that the Lord had to, I'm talking about my own personal experience here, and many of you can relate to this. He had to let me walk through these things so that I would realize, nah, this ain't it. Well, let's try this. Mm, nah, this ain't it either. And it wasn't until I got to that place of saying, God, it's obvious you have a plan that's very different from mine, and I'm getting tired of bouncing my head against the wall. So how about if we do this? I will surrender to you. I will begin to spend time with you so that you can work that plan out that you have deep down in here someplace. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So, so I found myself, and, I, and really I can't take credit for this at all because, you know, when you're walking with the Lord, he, he holds you by the hand and you're like, oh, this is cool. And then one day you turn around and go, oh, um, man, you really took me far away from where we were. And he has to. And so sometimes you stumble upon things that you don't realize. Later on you look back and go, oh, wow, that was a biblical principle. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You're just walking and doing your, you know, you're walking with God, and all of a sudden one day you realize, wow, something changed here. I'm different. I'm not thinking the same. I'm not talking the same. I'm not acting the same. Something changed. He's so sneaky. He doesn't even let you realize he's doing it. Now listen, what I stumbled upon, I want to share with you. Again, for you and I to walk in the complete fullness of the plan of God for our lives is going to require a force beyond ourselves. In order for you and I to go and fulfill what Jesus left the church to do is going to require a force outside of ourselves. Now, Jesus kind of hinted at it, and uh, I'm just going to do a quick review, and then we'll jump into the parts we need to for now. John chapter 15. Can I get that scripture up there? John chapter 15, verse 4. This is all review. If you weren't here last week or the week before, go watch it on YouTube. This is Jesus talking. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, which is, makes common sense. If you cut a branch off the vine, it's not going to produce anything. You cut off the life force from it. There's nothing flowing to it. So that's the same idea. He's saying, abide in me and I in you. Abide, 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 abide. Abide. Not stop by once in a while. Not visit. Abide. You getting this? Abide. And Sundays are not enough. The hour and a half, whatever, sometimes is not enough. Because if you leave here and you disconnect and you get the mindset, well, I'll see you next Sunday. You're spending a whole lot of time outside of his abiding, the abiding place. Abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in the vine. Abide in me. 
You see, we just saw here abiding, abiding. Now watch this now. Jesus promised power to the disciples. You remember Jesus went to the cross, right? Yes? Come on, tell me you're here. Jesus went to the cross. He rose again from the dead. Yes? He ascended into heaven. But before he ascended into heaven, he said to the disciples, guys, do not leave Jerusalem until you receive this power, this promise of my father. Now, they were born again by that point in time. You remember the first Easter Sunday night? You remember? What happened? Jesus appears in the midst of them, and he breathes on them. and says, receive the Holy Spirit. What did they receive? They received salvation. When you're born again, the Holy Spirit came to live inside you. Yes or no? So they're saved, right? They're born again. Yes or no? Okay. But then he says to them, you're born again. Can't paraphrase it here. But you're not ready to go do the work of the ministry yet. Stay in Jerusalem until you receive the promise of my Father. That's the Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2 experience. Okay. What did he promise them? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power. Now they're born again already. The Holy Spirit's living inside them already. Yes or no? But he said to them, but you shall receive power. When? When the... Holy Spirit has come, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So he told them, you're born again, and I put it this way, if you listen, being born again prepares us for heaven, because you can't go to heaven unless you're born again, right? Yes or no? I need you to get this. So being born again prepares me for heaven, but being baptized in the Holy Spirit prepares me for here. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. He said to him, don't go anywhere. Stay here until you receive the promise of my Father. So we know that there's this power experience available to us. Yes or no? And And I pray that most of us in this room have received that. If you haven't yet, you're still here. There's always time, okay? Now watch this now. That's awesome. One shot, boom. You not only have the Holy Spirit within you, but now you've received the Holy Spirit upon you for service, for ministry, right? When you say ministry, I'm not talking about my, me, my ministry. I'm talking about ministry. You're, here, you're a minister. Every one of us is a minister. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're all ministers of reconciliation. Every one of us have a ministry opportunity and a ministry assignment, okay? That's wonderful. But then there's also something that's more long-term. Now, I'm not diminishing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not diminishing that experience. I'm not diminishing praying in the Spirit, praying in other tongues. I'm not diminishing any of that, okay? What I'm saying is, along with that, we need to stay plugged in. That's the power of abiding. And that's something that we have to develop in each and every one of our lives if we're going to accomplish anything that's going to mean anything in eternity. If we're going to accomplish anything for the Lord, it's going to be, let me, let me back up. If we're going to impact anyone else on this planet, it's going to be out of the overflow of our relationship with Jesus, the abiding, the abiding, the, the dwelling place, the secret place. Okay? Are you getting this so far? 
I know there's a lot of review, because I've been talking about this a lot the past few weeks. But now, let's jump into the actual content of the message, and then I want to add a few things on before we leave today. Okay? Is that good? Do I have your attention? All right, because stick with me, because we're going to go through a lot of scriptures right now. I want to go to Psalm 91. I want to start in verse 1. I want to go all the way to verse 16. Psalm 91. Now, I want to tell you this before we get into it, because this is an amazing thing. I've been reading Psalm 91, God knows how long. It's been 38 years I'm saved. Psalm 91 has always been one of my most favorite psalms. But when I mention, listen to me, when I mention psalms, who's the first person you usually think of? David. David. David didn't write this one. I know, I was amazed just like you. David did not write this one. You know who wrote this one? Moses. Now, you need to know that because now you will see Moses' thoughts and his experiences that he wrote down for us as he saw God literally bring these promises to pass right before his eyes. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Now, that's conditional. You can choose to dwell in the secret place of the Most High, or you can choose not to. Your going to heaven is not dependent upon whether you're dwelling in the secret place. Your going to heaven was dependent upon what you believed in your heart about the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes? So this isn't for salvation, per se, as it is pertaining to our eternity. This psalm is more about what life on earth is going to be like. Because the secret place is available to us here while we're in this body, okay? So now think about Moses' experience. Think about him being up on the mountain multiple times with God. Think about him spending time in that big gigantic tent that they built, their portable house of worship. And now you can see maybe literally the picture that he was painting here. He who dwells in a secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Keep going. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him I will trust. I could see Moses saying this because he wrote this after the whole Red Sea experience, after the experience in Egypt. Amen? I will say of the Lord. What are you saying? Are you saying of the Lord that he's your refuge? Are you saying that he's my fortress? Are you saying he's your God and that you're going to trust him? Because this is the thing that opens up the rest of the promises here. Are you getting this? A couple of people got it. (laughs) I will say the Lord is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him I will trust. Next, let's just keep going, verse after verse. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Don't let that fancy language. It's talking about little traps that get set for us, almost like a person who sets traps for little birds. And from the perilous pestilence. Keep going. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. That used to puzzle me. Go, is, is he, what is he saying? God is a bird? But then this is the same Moses who said that God delivered his people on wings of eagles. So he, this is how he perceived God. He's writing it down for us. His truth shall be your shield, big shield. And buckler, little, little shield when you're in intense battle. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night. He's thinking about Passover. Nor the arrow that flies by day. Keep going. Nor the pestilence that walks in darkness. The darkness that came on Egypt. Okay. Nor the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side. Remember Passover night? All the firstborn. 
from Pharaoh all the way to the cattle in the field. The firstborn all died because Pharaoh hardened his heart against God. Thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but watch this now, but it shall not come near you. Next verse. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Now understand this, what he's talking about here. The Israelites did not live amongst the general population in Egypt. They got assigned a separate place. When Joseph went there, and then Joseph's father Jacob came there 430 years before the Exodus, Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your father you can live any place he wants. Joseph, knowing that the most fertile, the most rich, and the most prosperous part of Egypt is in the north, right on the Mediterranean where the Nile Delta is. You can grow anything there. He says to Pharaoh, you don't want us around because we're shepherds and we stink. He said, why don't you give us the land up there, up north, where it's away from everybody? And Pharaoh went, "Ah, good idea. We don't like sheep. We don't like shepherds. We'll give you that land. It's called the land of Goshen, okay? And you guys just visited there recently, okay? Because that's where Alexandria is, all right? So watch this now. While the plagues are devastating Egypt, Goshen's like... What? There's trouble in Egypt? While there was darkness in Egypt, there's light in Goshen. While there's hail and fire falling from the sky, destroying everything, Goshen's like, it's nice here. While the Egyptians' cattle were dying in the fields, the cattle in Goshen were fine. Listen to me. God always makes a distinction between his people and the rest of this world. Always. Always. Moses is remembering all this, and he's writing it down so that every generation in the future, his future, would be able to remember what God did when he rescued the Israelites from Egypt. And it's the same thing we should have in our mind when we sit down to spend some time with the Lord, and we take our little piece of cracker and a little bit of juice, and we do what Jesus said, because he said, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? The fact that the cross parted the Red Sea for us, and we left Egypt and went into our promised land, the land of salvation. We should never forget that. So let's keep going now. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. Keep going. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and cobra. These are symbols of demonic activities. They're symbols of the devil. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because, now here's another condition. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. Because he has set his love upon me, because you're dwelling in the secret place of the Most High, because you are saying he is my God, I will trust him. He's my fortress, he's my refuge. We have a part to play in these things. Have you set your love upon him? I like the the King James Version says, because he has set his affection upon me. You see, look it. I can't set your affection for you. You can't set your affection for me. Each one of us have to come to the place to say, I am going to set my love. I'm going to set my affection. In other words, I'm going to be intentional about who this God is in my life. And he said, because you've done that, 
Therefore, I will deliver him. Who's the him? The one who set his love on him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Do you know his name? Because we really don't get a chance to really know who he is until we're spending time in the secret place. Until it's just us and him. Let's move quick. Come on. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. Here's the one I love. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Church, would you agree that these are awesome promises from God? Promises of protection. Promises of of just being close to God. Promises of, I've sent my angel before you. Promises of, I'm going to be with you always. Promises of, when you need to get delivered, I'm going to deliver you. I'm going to set you on high. I'm going to give you honor. There are some promises. But they're all tied to verse 1. He who dwells, 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 dwells. Not stops by once in a while to visit. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Now, that word Most High is usually capitalized for a reason. Because it's a title of God in Hebrew. The way it should read is this. He who dwells in the secret place of El Elyon, the Most High God. There's no other God higher than him. There's no other person. There's no other entity more powerful than him. He who dwells in that secret place, and then you go on. Boom, 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 boom. Here's all the promises. But let me explain to you a couple of things about the secret place. Now, I'm going to paraphrase this. I'm going to go with my heart from my notes. Is that good? Is that okay? Watch this now. Secret place has to be guarded. Secret place has to be protected. Do you ever notice that when you, when you set yourself, say, okay, within yourself, because you don't broadcast this. Well, some people do. But you don't broadcast your spiritual life, right? You know it's between you and God. So you, so you, you in, in your heart, go, Lord, tomorrow morning I'm going to get up. I'm going to get up a half an hour early. And I'm going to get someplace quiet. And I'm going to spend time with you. Right? Right? Anybody, anybody do that? Oh, my God, you better raise some hands. <laughs> what happens when you wake up in the morning? I'm so tired. Maybe tomorrow, God. Or you do get up. And then you go, oh, man, that pain is back. Or you do get up, and you might even make it to the place where you want to be. I don't know if you have an office at home, a basement, a guest room, or whatever. Some place where you're going to go quiet. And as soon as you start to pray, you start getting reminded. You didn't pay your mortgage this month. Your car payment's late. So-and-so never gave you the money back that they owe you. You start thinking of all kinds of natural things. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Yes. And isn't it amazing that throughout the rest of your day, when you're busy with everything else, you never think about that stuff? It's only when you go down to pray. It's only when you set yourself that you're going, no, today I'm going to spend that time. And, and here's the bigger trap. He's so sneaky. The devil is so sneaky. He's like, How about when he reminds you of the good things that you're supposed to do? Forget about paying bills, worries, concerns. Oh, See, Father, in the name of Jesus, I come, I'm going to pray. And all of a sudden, you stop and you go, oh, my God, I told so-and-so I was going to get back to them. They they, they contacted me on Facebook like three days ago, and I still haven't gotten back. And you start going, oh, I better go take care of that. So now you leave the secret place. Anybody know where I'm going? So now you jump on the computer. Did you ever have this one happen? You're going on the computer because you're going to contact so-and-so. But all of a sudden, you notice this really cool story. 
that somebody posted on Facebook. And then 30 minutes later, you went, oh my God, I forgot to get in touch with so-and-so. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? You got to guard your secret place. Now, this concept goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden in eastward in Eden, eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. So he, he, he made the garden first, yes? yes? Come on, guys. He made the garden first, yes? Okay. Then when the garden was complete, am I making him jump? Okay. When the garden was complete, then he put the man in it. Yes or no? Yes. And what did he do? He gave Adam one job. One job. Protect this place. Protect this place. I've given you all the vegetables. I've given you all the tree, fruit trees. I've given you the water. Good water. Tell them where the water was. He even told them where the gold was. Imagine that. I said this in the first service. I'll say it to you. Say, well, I thought when I read that, Lord, you gave him fruit trees, you gave him vegetables, you gave him the herbs of the ground, whatever. You showed him where the water was so that he could drink. And then gold? How does gold go into the same category? He knew Eve was coming. <laughs> so he creates the garden, he puts everything that he's going to need in there. And then we don't know how long it was just God and Adam. We could have been hundreds of years. We don't know how long it was. We know that God gave a responsibility to name all the animals, to get to know this creation, and brought them one by one. They went, no, nah, this ain't going to work. Next one, no, nah, this ain't going to work. This guy needs another person like him. But all that time, God and Adam were spending a relationship. We're, we're having a relationship. We're spending time together. Face-to-face -to -face time. In fact, Adam is so enraptured and so captivated by the presence of God, he doesn't, he's not even conscious that he's naked. He doesn't even know, he's not even aware he has a body. And God says, protect this place. And what happens? The snake gets in. That's all God was saying to him is protect this. This is a secret place between you and I. This is a place where we can meet. This is a place where you can unburden your souls. This is a place where you can come and tell me about the things that are bothering you. This is a place where you can come and admit to me, I screwed up, I messed up, I did something I shouldn't have done. Protect it. Your secret place has got to be protected. Proverbs chapter 4 tells us that we need to guard that place because the rest of our life is determined by what happens in that secret place. Now watch this now. We're running out of time and I've got to move really quick here. Listen. One of the most important things about the secret place is this. And don't, don't forget this. If you don't remember anything else today, please promise me you're going to remember this. The secret place is the place of vulnerability. The secret place is a place of transparency. The secret place when it's just you and God, listen to me, please, is a place where you can open up before God. He knows everything already anyway. He knows it. Turn to somebody and say, he already knows it. But you see, if you're not, listen, if you're not spending time in that secret place, and if you're not utilizing the secret place at the place of where you go, God, this is what I've been doing. This is what I've been thinking. This is what I've been saying. This is how I've been conducting myself. God, God, 
I've fallen into the pig pen. God, I'm doing stuff I never thought I would do, God. See, if you don't have that secret place, what it develops into is anger, frustration, crankiness, bitterness, hard-heartedness. You need the secret place so you can come clean before God. Now watch this now. This is serious here. I'm going to go to a place in the scriptures. When I mention King David, or when you just mention David, you think David and Goliath, right? That's the famous. Even, even non-church people know about the battle between David and Goliath. But there's another story about David that pertains to what we're talking about here. Let me go real quick. David is a young teenager. King Saul is the first, the first king of Israel, and he went bad. God says to the prophet Samuel, go to Bethlehem, go to Jesse's house, which is David's father. I want you to anoint one of his sons to be king. I'm going to try to make this as quick as possible. Samuel goes to Bethlehem, goes to Jesse's house. They have dinner together, and then Samuel starts with the oldest son. No, it's not him. Next one. No, it's not him. The Lord speaks to him and goes, no, this isn't the one. Next one. Next one. Next one. Next one. They're, all run- they're running out of sons. And finally, the last one presents himself before Samuel, and God goes, it's not him. And Samuel says, are these all your sons? And they go, no, we have another one. David, the youngest one, but he smells because he hangs around with the sheep all the time. He's outside. They didn't even think him worthy enough to invite him into the house when the prophet was coming. Are you listening? That had to have an effect on David. Now, David, let's fast forward. David defeats Goliath, knocks him down with a stone, cuts his head off. He inherits a wife. With the wife, he inherited a crazy father-in-law, King Saul, who gets jealous of David and tries to pit him against the wall with a spear. I mean, if you went to your father-in-law's house for dinner and he throws a spear at you, (laughs) you kind of get the hint, this guy's not too happy with me. So now for the next anywhere from 13 to 17 years, David is fleeing from village to village, from city to city. He's betrayed constantly. His life is in danger all the time. And then finally, Saul gets killed in battle, and David becomes positioned in Jerusalem as the king. He has arrived. Now, meantime, he's had a wife, crazy King Saul's daughter, who took after her father, okay, who's caused major problems for him. She ridicules him when he's bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and he's dancing before the Lord. He's just so caught up in worshiping God and his own wife criticizes him. So we know there's trouble there. So now he becomes king and he's in his palace in Jerusalem. And at a time when he should have been out fighting with the rest of his generals and soldiers, since he's had such a tough time. Could you picture, you put yourself in that position and go, man, I could finally just kick back a little bit. So he gets comfortable. He's sitting in his recliner. 
He's hanging out. He gets up and he looks out the window and his next door neighbor's wife is out there bathing. Because you see, she's not really doing anything wrong because he ain't supposed to be home. He's supposed to be out fighting because her husband's out fighting in his army. Well, you know the rest of the story. She gets pregnant. He devises a plan to cover the thing up. He calls for her husband to come back, gets him drunk, figures he'll go home, nature will take its course, and he'll think it's his baby. But he refuses to go, he refuses to go sleep with his wife. He's got more honor than David. He says to David, how can I go and enjoy my wife when my brothers are back on the battlefield? Imagine how that must have convicted David. So now David goes, i got to get rid of this guy. So he has him killed on the battlefield. And he thinks he got away with it. Did you ever fall? Now, don't show your hands. Did you ever fall into sin? And you think you got away with it because the ground didn't split, you didn't get swallowed? Your finances are still intact. Your health is still intact. You figured God winked at it. And you thought you got away with it. I'm not going to ask you to show your hands. But you'll know what David felt like. And so he's living life as usual. Because tragedy does come. This child that was conceived dies. But he thinks he got away with this whole thing. And then God speaks to a prophet named Nathan. And says, go to the king's house and confront him over this sin. Why? Why did God have to send Nathan there? Because David never went to the secret place and said to God, Father, I have messed up. I have sinned. I, have, I did this. I've not only committed adultery, I've committed murder. I've lied. Everybody thinks I'm the greatest guy in the world. See, all of that stuff, look at me, please, church, because we're going to be out of here in about two minutes. Every one of us at some point in our lives have done something that we hold on to and we think we got away with it. But God has merely been waiting for you to come to him in the secret place, which is you and him, so that he can deal with it. Why? Not out of punishment, but because he loves us so much, he doesn't want that sin to expand. Because when you think you got away with it, the next time you become more daring and less repentant. And you get to the point, finally, where you're conscience becomes seared and you don't even have remorse anymore. Now watch this. When Nathan confronted David and said, you're the man who did this. You committed adultery. You took this woman against her will. You had her husband killed. When that confrontation took place, David is in his throne room. Now if you know anything about kings, when they hold court, they're not alone. David's got all his bodyguards. He's probably all his family members. All important people in the kingdom are there when the king is in his court. His servants, the people in the kitchen heard this when Nathan walked in and went, you're the one. You did this. And because he didn't go to the secret place previously to get dealt with, God was forced to confront it in public. And there's one thing about God. He always wants to maintain our dignity. You remember what Jesus did with that woman that was caught in the act of adultery? He covered her. He retained her dignity. It wasn't him that brought her to be embarrassed in front of the whole town. 
It was the religious people. Listen to me. If for no other reason but this, you and I need to develop a secret place and develop it to the extent that we protect it, we don't let anything else invade it, we don't let any other influence come in, we're intentional. Father, this is our time. Whether it's 15 minutes or 15 hours, what matters is this, that you have a time where you can say to the Lord, I'm hurting. I've sinned. Or, Lord, I'm wounded. I don't know how to heal this thing. Or, Lord, I'm confused. I don't know which way to go. Lord, something's bothered me and I don't even know what it is. If you don't have that secret place, you're going to carry the weight of those things. But in the secret place, you get free. In the secret place, you receive correction. You want to receive correction. As long as you're receiving correction, you know you're a child of God. But we're so busy with our lives. I'll make it to church when I can. Or, you know, you know Pastor, I try to read the Bible when I can. Listen, let's not, let's not kid ourselves. We make time for the things that are important for us. Whether you want to admit it or not, and you don't have to raise one hand, I know what I'm saying is true. We make times for the things that we like. We get intentional about the things we like. No, no don't answer the phone. I'm watching my, my, my Netflix thing. I'm binging. Don't bother me. Door, somebody knocks on the door, shut the lights. Make believe we're not here. We know how to be intentional about the things we want to do. Yes or no? We make time for the things we want to do. We set the atmosphere for the things that we want, that we like. Let's get intentional about this secret place. Listen, it'll change our lives. And it's so important right now because God is wanting to draw us closer and closer to himself in the secret place so that he can release assignments and that he can get us aligned into where he wants us for this next season that is pouring out on this earth right now. Amen? I'm going to ask you to stand. We're not. Did anybody get anything today? Yes. Listen, church. We don't have time to do an altar call. We don't have time. The Spanish service starts at 1 o'clock. We have to be out of here. Okay, just do me a favor right now, please. Well, do yourself a favor. Lift one hand up to the Lord. Just lift one of them, one of them up and say this with me. Father. Let's say it again. Father, Father I, give I give you my permission as an act of my will. Come and deal with me, Lord. Come and bring me to that secret place. Help me to establish that secret place. And in that secret place, meet me there. I want to know you like never before. I want my heart to be open to you like never before. Father, I promise right now to meet with you in the secret place. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen real, real closely, please. If you need prayer for something today, you came here, you had an issue, you want something that needs to be dealt with, please don't just walk out the door. We'll make time, okay? 
Come up here. There's people that are trained to pray for you, pray with you. If not, God bless you. Don't forget 2.30 this afternoon. Especially, listen, if you're a newcomer here, please come. So we can get a chance to know you. You can get a chance to know us. Please come. 2.30 this afternoon at the other end of the building. God bless you. You're dismissed.